Hello and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And this week we need to talk about Terminator 1 and 2, the James Cameron films. So it's just me on my own for this podcast, Trev. I hope you enjoy this. I recorded this last year and I never really put it out. So this recording is taken from that. Basically, I love a bit of trivia and a bit of geekery. I'm a bit of a film nerd. I love the making of a film probably more so than I love the films. You know, I watch the special features on DVDs all the time, so I'm a sponge to all this useless film information. Uh, So that's what's going on in this podcast. In this episode, I mention later on uh, Linda Hamilton's twin sister, Leslie. And actually, since the time I recorded this, she has passed away. So, yeah, very sad. So this podcast goes live on YouTube on our Hag Films channel before it goes live everywhere else. So if you want to comment or discover any of the links to videos or books mentioned in any of these podcasts, then please check us out at Hag Films, which is all one word. And it's the We Need to Talk About Movies podcast playlist at the top of the page. Subscribe, give us a like. And yeah, you can stay tuned there for the debut of each podcast. So this week I'm going to ask you a bit of a question. So I'd like to ask you guys, what is your favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger film other than Terminator? If you had to choose a film that he'd done that isn't Terminator, which one would it be? Anyway, enough of my rambling on. I will leave you now to my podcast, which I had entitled. I didn't know what I was going to call the podcast back then, so I've called it Trev Talks Film. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, here we go. Trev Talks Film. We need to talk about... Terminator 1 and 2. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, Trev Talks Film. It does exactly what it says on the tin. I am Trev, and I am going to talk about films. Today, I'm going to be talking about two groundbreaking films that changed science fiction they've certainly influenced science fiction they've created a star of its star and also of its director and it is the terminator films terminator one and two specifically i'm not going to go into too much detail with the others i have watched all the others but i might touch on the subjects but i just recently re-watched terminator one and two with my son and uh still blown away all this time later the effects in the first one are a bit ropey but what it lacks in a lot of the effects it makes up for in just the pace just how it's such a such a brilliant fast-paced film but anyway first of all we're going to talk a bit about james cameron so before this before terminator came out james cameron had made a a short film he worked as a truck driver i guess during the 70s but he used to love science fiction he was an amazing artist concept artist if you see some of his artwork it's absolutely stunning he does a lot of the conceptual art for his own films but he was a truck driver and he used to pull over during the time he'd write the scripts in laybys and come up with ideas for films his first film was a short called xenogenesis which is sort of his equivalent to George Lucas's THX. 
Yeah, it's a very low budget, obviously, because it's a sort of a student film. It stars William Wisher, who actually went on to co-write Terminator 2 with James Cameron. We can get into that later. But Xenogenesis won the attention and helped secure James Cameron a job with New World Pictures, which was uh, Roger Corman's production company. And he took Cameron on to work in various roles such as production assistant, art director, visual effects photographer, mat artist, films like uh, Battle Beyond the Stars and Escape from New York. His, I wouldn't say his big break, but he was given the chance to direct Piranha 2 The Spawning, or as I always remembered it, being called The Flying Killers, but whether that's just the English title. I can even remember the VHS cover for that. Seeing that in the old video shops when we was younger, not being able to watch it because it was an 18 but really wanting to because i was a massive massive jaws fan and this was like a different variation on jaws obviously that's where the piranha films came from but anyway he was working as a special effects director on piranha 2 and the original director either left or was removed and james cameron was given the director project i can't remember where they said it was filmed perhaps like in the bahamas or so it was filmed somewhere anyway and james cameron was over there and I think he got food poisoning and he was really ill and in the night he began to have these very disturbing sort of dreams which were the seeds that became Terminator he was dreaming about cyborgs and that, I presume I don't know I, I don't know what his fucking dreams were he was dreaming it's a bit like it's a bit like Bram Stoker isn't it didn't he come up with the idea of Dracula when he was uh suffering from food poisoning and i think the lady killers the original eating comedies lady killers apparently the writer of that dreamt the entire film from start to finish anyway that's them this is uh, james cameron so anyway he directed flying killers and then had this idea for the terminator which he started to write and apparently he was waiting for arnie to become to act in the terminator and while he was waiting for the film to start production he was currently rewriting the terminator writing stallone's first blood part two and aliens simultaneously in his apartment on three separate typewriters so you just go from one to the other writing and writing which is fantastic i've got like three ideas for scripts and i don't write any of them so you know fair play to him he's worked hard to get where he is so james cameron's been married five times he's been married to the terminator co-writer gail ann hurd Terminator actress Linda Hamilton and director Catherine Bigelow, who he wrote Strange Days for, another great film. Uh, she's also directed Point Break and Hurt Locker. But yeah, marrying five times to women that he's very close to. Have you never heard the phrase, don't shit on your own doorstep, James? You know, take that one to bed with you. And he, and he founded a production company called Lightstorm Entertainment in 1990. His movies have always moved the visual effects industry forward from the water spout thing in the abyss to the groundbreaking cgi in terminator 2 and the stunning recreation of the titanic and the amazing 3d tech used in avatar and the subsequent sequels that are on their way i wonder though if he's might have left it a little bit late you know strike while the iron's hot you know avatar was massive when it first came out but it's become a bit of a joke since, isn't it? And I think it's lost its appeal now. It's not on the cinema anymore. It's become a bit of a dud sort of film, isn't it? You watch it and people compare it 
to the Smurfs meet Dances with Wolves, you know, it's not very original. Even though at the time it was amazing and it is a fact for you. I've been to watch two films four times at the cinema. Only two films have I watched four times each at the cinema. And they was both Cameron films. Titanic, which I was absolutely blown away by when it first came out. And Avatar. And neither of those films are as effective on the smaller screen. But on the cinema, that was great. Anyway, that's a different story. Apparently he's a bit of an arsehole to work for. He has temper tantrums on set. He's that much of a perfectionist. And a lot of actors sort of say they wouldn't work for him again. But he is an innovator. Not only pushing the sound, the special effects, but also his input and enthusiasm to help create a record-breaking submersible, the Deep Sea Challenger, which he piloted to the bottom of the deepest chasm on the planet. His passion for the ocean can be seen in the abyss and with his obsession with the wreck of the Titanic. That's a little bit about James Cameron. Now we're going to get into Terminator 1. So yeah, the Terminator, 1984. A high-tech killer machine is sent back from the future to 1984 to assassinate young Sarah Connor, the mother of the mother of John Connor, leader of the resistance, as yet unborn not even conceived uh, and he's leader of the resistance in the war against the machines the resistance aware of the plans by the machines send back sol- soldier Kyle Reese to protect her this is a classic science fiction movie and it came out at a time when there was plenty of sort of low budget sci-fi horror films it was the video the VHS era where tasteless video nasties were Released left, right and centre. Um, films like The Exterminator, 1980. And Terminator could easily have just sort of disappeared in with the rest of them. But Cameron, he utilised its B-movie budget, $6.4 million, which is absolutely nothing. But he used such skill and style and craft with fantastic set pieces, great action, and Stan Winston's, for the most part, stunning effects... But as I said, it could have been, it could have been a flop. It could have been just another video nasty. Um, by all accounts, Arnie, who was slowly becoming a star with films such as Pumping Iron, Cactus Jack, and the Conan films, he wasn't convinced that Terminator was going to be any good. And apparently, he referred to it as some shit film that he's about to make. Funny how he's never really left the franchise, though, is he? He's never turned turned his back on it since. Originally, Arnie was. I think he auditioned to play Kyle Reese, but Cameron convinced him to play the villain when he sent some of his own artwork of Arnie as the Terminator, which convinced him. When James Cameron was trying to push the Terminator and get it made, get it funded, he used uh, Lance Henriksen, who is Bishop? He's Bishop, isn't he, in uh, the Aliens films. Uh, So Lance Henriksen was dressed up as the Terminator and many people thought that he was going to play the Terminator with originally Cameron's idea was the Terminator was going to be someone who could sort of disappear into the background so Lance Hendrickson I guess would have fit that criteria and I mean I think he's an interesting choice to play a Terminator because like uh, Robert Patrick in the second one Lance Hendrickson has that sort of alien sort of robotic quality about him he's a bit creepy a bit sinister which i suppose is why he was used to play bishop in aliens yeah so james cameron used to 
go around pitching the Terminator with Lance Hendrickson dressed as the android killer in the office with him to help him pitch the movies. And apparently uh, Hendrickson heard one producer say to Cameron when Hendrickson was told to leave the office, we're not using him, he's not going to be the Terminator. <laughs> so, someone else who was originally considered to play the Terminator was um, O.J. Simpson, but... He was too nice to be believable as a cold-blooded killer. So that idea was dropped. So obviously Lance Hendrickson does appear in the Terminator film. It was Detective Hal Vukovic. And he also actually played a police chief in Piranha 2 The Spawning. So that's obviously where Cameron knows him from his old days at. Working for Roger Corman, making the B-movies. Anyway, I re-watched The Terminator. And the funny thing was, I couldn't remember a lot of it. So I couldn't have watched The Terminator as much as I thought I had. The opening scene of the future, LA in the future, the apocalypse, that's dated somewhat. It instantly looked like a a model flying, you know, like he was watching Thunderbirds or the old Red Dwarf or something. But that being said, it was still visually stunning. And it, it sits well with Cameron's vision of the future the spaceships and the military in aliens and avatar he's never lost that same sort of vision has he it's all all looks like it could be from the same universe i also i didn't remember there being quite so many flashbacks or flash forwards i guess where kyle reese filling in what was going on in the future i can't remember that at all but what i did love about watching the terminator again is how the beginning is just it's just action but it's not action in a sense that you're bored watching it because i often get bored watching action films especially cgi action these days it's it's unbelievable it's far-fetched it goes on and on and you just lose interest with the terminator there's hardly any dialogue loads of action in the opening scenes and whatever dialogue there is is so sparse so it's so precise it gets to the point it sets everything up and it's just little snippets of dialogue which give you the whole idea i'd imagine that the sarah connor killing the first one was shocking at the time because she just didn't look like a hollywood victim back in those days you're watching your your nightmare on elm street or i don't think that was out at the time no. but you're watching your old horrors and it's always like a pretty girl although linda hamilton is quite pretty getting pursued the girly girl but the first time you see a killing it's not of a teenager or it's not of a cop you know it's not of a man it's of a woman who looks like she could be your mum you know and i'm thinking that, that must have been shocking she just opens the door innocently enough and arnie just bang kills her you know so it's not so shocking now but i bet back then that must have been a real shocking moment and like i said linda Ham- hamilton's sarah connor is so much more of a girly girl here but she's not useless you know her character grows and adapts to the film as the story goes on you know cameron created created a great female role in sarah connor i guess somewhat continuing what ridley scott had done with sigourney weaver as ellen ripley in alien and it's something that cameron's continued to do throughout his films there's always a strong female lead he writes well for women um, he probably understands them quite well, you know. He has been married five times, so there is that. And uh, by all accounts, it was Linda Hamilton's own input helped continue that character's growth into the second movie. But we'll get on to that later anyway. 
a little fact from the beginning of the film was James Cameron's voice was used on the answer phone when he phones up to cancel his date with Sarah Connor. That was James Cameron. There is the obvious horror trope of the slutty friend and her boyfriend who you could sort of see they were going to get bumped off because they was they were young, they was recklessly sexual and as has been proven ever since in horror, you know, that character isn't going to last for long. And Cole Reese is he's a good hero. Michael Bean playing Cole Reese. He's a good hero. He's nothing I suppose this is the dawn of the action hero. So there is no sort of precedent set that they had to be muscular. You know, I suppose Arnie becomes the action hero as the decade carries on. But back then, you know, he's a sort of a down-to-earth bloke. He's a cool, sort of hardened character. But it also sets up the romance, which you always have to have a romance in this type of film back then. You know, this was the 80s. You couldn't have two a male and a female in a role together and not have sex in the middle. So there was that. But obviously that the sex is important to the plot as he becomes John, John Connor's father. So obviously Michael Bean goes on to play a similar role in Aliens. Him and Ellen Ripley, I suppose, become sort of a mother and father figure to the young girl Newt. They didn't have sex though. But he plays a similar sort of role there. He's... He's sensible, he's cool enough, ruthless enough, but he's quite down to earth. And I mean, the film is fast-packed from the start, and it only really does lull in the middle around that sex scene, you know, as that sex scene approaches. But then it picks up again for the end. The name of the club, Tech Noir, was actually named Stokers, the original screenplay, was renamed for the film after a term that Cameron coined himself to describe the genre that he felt felt Terminator fell into, a sci-fi film noir. Films like Blade Runner also fall into that category, tech noir. And I also, I couldn't remember Mars Attacks actor Paul Winfield playing Lieutenant Traxler in this film either. So, yeah, I really couldn't remember a lot of Terminator 1. Paul Winfield, I wouldn't know if I've seen him in much stuff other than this and uh, Mars Attacks. In Mars Attacks, he's a great character as the the general who's the nice general, soft, you know. But then saying that, I might have seen him in other films and not realised at the time who he was. I checked him out on his IMDb page and I didn't recognise his pick. It looks, it looks nothing like him. It's like a misleading Tinder profile, you know, he's... It was taken about 40 years before he even featured in any films by the looks of it. And I also couldn't remember that the psychiatrist in the second one is is in the film as well. Earl Bowen, who you think he's slimy and sleazy in the second one, but in this one he's completely unprofessional. You know, they're watching the video and he's just showing everyone and laughing at this nutcase, you know. And he's supposed to be a professional sort of psychiatrist. Is that how they behave? Surprised he didn't get his comeuppance in this film, but you know we saw him sort of get the the the, the wind taken from his sails in the sequel. So some of the special effects, as I said, they're dated by now, but they're still great, still innovative. You know the, the robot just looks awesome, but I think it had to be walked on like a sled, didn't it? Because it was so heavy. You know Arnie's rubber head looks a bit. It looks a bit corny. Reminds me of uh, Zayford Beeblebox from the original BBC version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The musical score uh, by Brad 
Fidel is a fantastic sort of 80s electronic sci-fi score a great theme tune sort of similar to a lot of themes at that time which now we look back sort of as a retro theme you know series like Stranger Things you know really adopts that style but back then yeah a great theme tune which he updates for the sequel but also used in the advert for Robocop if you ever watch Orion's original trailer for Robocop on YouTube it's even though I love the Robocop theme tune they couldn't have had it at the time they released the trailer because they used the Terminator theme tune throughout the trailer which seems bizarre but I suppose they were trying to associate perhaps I don't know it seems strange but um, you know you can see from this film a lot of Cameron's traits germinating in this film um, and his interest in weaponry and technical military and police procedures and protocols the languages they use and you always believe in his military his police forces his authority figures you believe that they are doing the job that they do and it's because of the the way he uses the terminologies so obviously Terminator 1 has the iconic line I'll be back which was accidental it was became this massive line but it was they never original they never intended it to be that line it was just a throwaway line in the script in the original script it was actually I'll come back so I don't know whether Arnie misread it or whether they did change it at the time but you know they they play on it in all the sequels but they've never really recaptured the magic of it you know they, they've done like the Asta La Vista with a moderate success in the second one in three the line is absolutely wasted as Arnie throws the female droid down a mine shaft or something and then looks down and says she'll be back it's like oh god just stop saying that you know and other lines like come with me if you want to live just keep popping up throughout these films all of which sort of come from the original Terminator but the end epilogue it's a brilliant touch you know that I don't know how to pronounce this Arabos or as in Red Dwarf as a Red Dwarf reference here our Rob or Ross which you can you know is the serpent eating its own tail which I'd imagine at the time hadn't been done as much now we still see a lot of films and TV shows with that sort of what came first the chicken or the egg you know so with the picture that he's been carrying of her throughout the film and you see it get taken at the end and you realise that he's Kyle Reese is the father of John Connor so he's come back to protect John Connor but he's also had to come back to create John Connor and it just it's just this great circular story just a great ending and then there was a few deleted scenes of the chip being found which James Cameron says he destroyed because there's, there was shit acting in it two officials at the plant find a, an arm and a chip at the factory where the Terminator is destroyed and then there's another scene of Sarah wanting to destroy Cyberdyne but he cut those endings the film ends well without it it didn't need it and then of course he gets to use all that in the sequel by the time Terminator 2 came around so it's like 6-7 years after Terminator out comes a sequel much anticipated sequel a massive budget because by then Cameron's had proven his worth with Terminator 
aliens and to a lesser extent the abyss but it was the abyss and that water snake effect that sort of gave Cameron the idea to redo or revisit the Terminator world because apparently originally he wanted to do a liquid metal Terminator in the original Terminator and he thought about doing it with stop motion sort of plasticine animation and I think his idea to hold off what paid off in the end once the effects the CGI had got good enough he could revisit it so he had Arnie and Linda Hamilton reprising their roles he had Robert Patrick turning up as the T-1000 Edward Furlong in his first ever role as John Connor and Joe Morton as the Cyberdyne director Miles Dyson presumably he was promoted after his great work on the Hoover the the vacuum cleaner that he uh, invented so ILM and Pacific Data Images created the visual and CGI effects PDI, Pacific Data Images would later be bought out by DreamWorks in 2000 and Stan Winston returns to create the practical special effects there's a great trailer actually a, a teaser trailer that Stan Winston created using no footage of the film but it's just like a factory of Terminators being created just the skeletons and I think they put it out like a year before the film came out just to sort of start a vibe going um, and a really effective trailer so I watched this on the Skynet edition Blu-ray and I watched the special extended version and I must say the Blu-ray is fantastic there's some beautiful stunning menus there's loads of additional content i watched it twice i watched the film and then i watched the audio commentary with james cameron and william wisher who i said starred in uh, the short film xenogenesis but you can also see him appear in terminator 2 as the photographer in the galleria just before the or during the battle of the two terminators the first time they meet Uh, it's quite funny listening to the pair of them talk the audio commentary because for the most part it's Cameron talking and then it seems that whenever Wisher tries to pipe up and say something Cameron soon finds something much more interesting to talk about and just talks over (laughs) but so Cameron approached Linda Hamilton to return and as Sarah Connor and she said, I'll only return if I can play it nuts. Which is a great way to return, to be honest. And I think it really works. Not having her... You know, in many sequels, you'd have that character. She's been through this thing. The Terminators came in the first one. There's this big battle. Then they leave. And then she just gets on with her life as if nothing's happened. I mean, that happens in so many films. Where the character hasn't evolved, hasn't changed whereas she comes back and she's still haunted by this she's persecuted for the knowledge that she holds her son has nothing to do with her because he thinks she's crazy he's been put into care she's been put into an asylum or a prison she obviously isn't well and I think it makes so much more sense seeing her in that position a great way to move the films on so the film opens with Sarah Connor's voiceover and we see the destroyed playground and then we see the, the, the future that we saw in the original but it's so much sharper the additional budget and advances in technology are paying off big time 
We also see John Connor in his 40s as a scarred and hardened fighter, leader of the resistance, played here by Michael Edwards. And by now, Cameron's steely blue filter is evident in most of his sci-fi movies, more so than in The Terminator, but you've seen it in Aliens, you've seen it in The Abyss. It's that blue sheen. So the opening credit sequence is a playground engulfed in flames, depicting the innocents lost in the destruction of the Bond, as well as the innocents lost in war in general, I suppose. And composer Brad Fidel returns with a much more cinematic score and original soundtrack and theme tune it's it's more mechanical it's more metallic it's like a robotic war drum there's much more cinematic feel to it than its original 80s score but you can still tell it is the terminator theme it's a fantastic score throughout the film it drives the action propels the movie and enhances the sort of visceral power of the film without giving things away yeah just great so the playground anyway engulfed in flames this is a motif that is shown later again in the dream sequence sarah connor has and the effects are absolutely shocking and in that dream when she sees the playground just get obliterated it really brings to mind the test footage that you've seen of the nuclear tests back in the 50s it's really harrowing really realistic and that playground scene actually shows the third incarnation of john connor in the film as a toddler with Sarah Connor playing with the young John Connor. A toddler is actually Linda Hamilton's son, Dalton. Dalton Abbott. And then later on, the playground scene comes again. In a, it doesn't, but there's a deleted scene where Michael Edwards, the older John Connor, is playing with his daughter. The war has been stopped. Everyone's happy. And Linda Hamilton sits there in this sort of unconvincing old makeup. You know, it didn't look that impressive, so it's no surprise that it was cut and didn't even find its way back into the extended version. Everything amps up a notch, or ten, in this sequel. The effects of the time travellers arriving, much more vivid. You know, as you see the, the the sphere carved out of the side of the truck, and you see the cross-section of the, the truck glowing. It's much more elaborate, much more effective. And, uh, this is Edward Furlong as well. It's worth noting this is his debut f- role in a film, and I think it's a convincing performance. It is a great performance for a newcomer. But I must say, I'm always dubious when I hear directors say that actors were discovered from nowhere. George Lucas is one of the worst of this. Like I remember, there was the rumor that Harrison Ford was a carpenter on the set of Star Wars, and he was just accidentally cast as Han Solo. And you know now that he wasn't just a carpenter on the set he was there reading the scripts with everyone they must have had some idea he's going to feature i mean he was in apocalypse now before then he was in the conversation francis ford coppola's conversation he was in george lucas's american graffiti from 1974 and then i also remember that george lucas saying the same thing about jake lloyd when he found him for anakin skywalker oh you you know we tried out all these kids and then eventually it took us to bump into one child in a shopping mall and it was like oh he's our anakin but then you know he's come from somewhere he was in jingle all the way with arnie he was the son of an entertainment agent you know these little white lies they weren't so easy to check on you know in a pre-internet time but anyway getting back on track Ed Furlong, he gave a great debut performance. 
Although with production length, he did have to dub over the majority of his lines due to his voice breaking halfway through. When we meet him, he's a bit of a wayward child in the film's opening. We can understand his demise. His mother's a complete weirdo. He's living with foster parents. We can see why he's gone into foster care. And he hangs around with a kid who looks like he's been drawn by Mike Judge for the King of the Hill series. But um, it's weird that Terminator 2 is such a good film. Because I can imagine on paper it looks as if he's paired up with a kid. Arnie comes back as the good guy. You can imagine fans of the original being sort of like, really? Is this is this going to happen? Because it's the sort of thing now you look and it's like, oh, they make it soppy. It's going to be a soppy Terminator. And I mean, it is, in a sense... Edward Furlong's character is sensitive. He pacifies the Terminator and sort of makes him not kill people. Whether this is to make it a more family-friendly film, make it more available and accessible to a wider audience, probably is. I mean, I was about 12 when I watched it. Pretty sure it was a 15 at the cinema, but it definitely introduced me to the Terminator films before the Terminator had for myself. But he also pacifies his mother. You know, his mum is, is probably more of a ruthless killer than Arnie is in this film, you know. The film deals with the violence inherent in the plot with far more heartfelt morality. But it doesn't soften it. It makes it more important, in a sense, you know. Seeing the story through a young John's eyes, stopping Arnie from killing, stopping Sarah from killing Miles... It makes the film more accessible, as I said, but it, it works. Everything works here. The Arnie reversal works. It's a clever twist, and I can only imagine that when you first watched it and you didn't know the twist, you was perhaps thinking that Arnie's heading to kill him. Robert Patrick is there to protect him, and it's not until they first meet that you get that surprise so anyway Hamilton's reprised the role and her her performance is absolutely inspiring in this movie it's so intense she's got this physicality about her she looks hard and sinewy and it surprises me that she never went on to carve a career that was a little bit closer to Sigourney Weaver's because she was amazing in this and I can't really I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else myself since except for the most recent terminator film terminator dark fate where she almost plays almost a parody of herself isn't it that was just a strange film i did enjoy it a lot more than i perhaps should have definitely a lot more than i thought i was going to but just what have you seen dark fate what the hell was that all about really the terminators came they've killed john but they're still feeding her information it's like what the Terminator that killed John goes on to become a family man, putting drapes up. It's like, what the heck? What? What? And he's got a bit of a conscience, and he thought, you know what? I wanna, I'm going to help her. I'm going to keep sending her information so she can go and kill Terminators as they arrive. What? What's going on? I didn't, I didn't get it anyway. Anyway, for the first few scenes, audiences back in 1991 wouldn't have been sure if Patrick's character was another Terminator or another soldier sent back. We never see his Terminator vision. He's not shown killing anyone. We see him strike the police officer and we presume he's stolen his clothes, although 
it only takes contact required to imitate someone so he didn't actually need the clothes but we saw something similar in the opening scenes of Terminator with Carl Reese stealing clothes from a tramp so you know needs must it's a great build up with tension that draws us in right up until that moment when the two machines convene either side of John Connor at the Galleria where Arnie has the gun in the roses and that's got to be a tie-in for the music you know for the the guns and roses feature track isn't it you could be mine he's got the guns and the roses oh so, so clever isn't it so, anyway the arnie reversal may seem disappointing for hardcore fans but it actually works and it is a clever twist it places the terminator on both sides of the american film institute's top 100 heroes and villains list you know he's in there as the terminator and he's in there as the good terminator it also helped boost arnie's career as the good guy i suppose he doesn't want to be the villain all the time it sort of fulfills his nice guy persona that he's pursuing in his hollywood career and the moment where sarah connor finally meets arnie in the plot and is made aware that he's on her side is where arnie again utters that line spoken by carl reese in the original come with me if you want to live that's your terminator but the t-1000 is um, a great invention obviously Cameron's finally able to realise the liquid metal Terminator as, as he's toyed with the idea for the original but the effects as I say are there now and they are groundbreaking there's a mix of practical and state of the art CGI neither of which would be as effective if it wasn't for Patrick's performance he is equally as menacing as Arnie had been in the first movie He's almost got like a feline sort of insect sort of movement. Oh, it's great. You know, he gave 110% for the role. He had the exaggerated mannerisms, nuances that had a mechanical feel to him. He's often like a cat chasing its prey. He learned to run and breathe through his nose so that he wouldn't show the strain of running on his face. And uh, apparently in one scene he... He's chasing John Connor on the motorbike and he almost caught him up because he was running that fast. So they was like, right, you don't have to run quite so fast. So he's obviously, there's no Michael Bean role in this. There's two Terminators. But we did see in the special edition, Michael Bean does reprise his role as Carl Reese. Just in a dream sequence, he chases Linda into the playground, which again, hammers home that playground motif. And you can see why these scenes were cut in the original it just repeated themes that were already already present and i don't think we really needed reminding of kyle reese but i suppose it was there for people who was coming to this fresh i suppose but it's worth mentioning also miles dyson joe morton as the cyberdyne designer he's another character that gives the film a much more humane element he's a family man he's driven for his career and his character is not as clear-cut you'd imagine the bad guys cyberdyne to be the bad guys but he's not he's the good guy and you've got sarah connor is the bad guy wanting to kill him and john's like no don't kill him and so he's the bad guy without knowing it and his performance as well is fantastic you know you really feel for him he's joe morton played the brother from another planet in the John Sayles 1980 sci-fi film with the same title. He's a great representation of a black family man in an era where that wasn't 
wasn't such a common thing. I suppose you had Eddie Murphy was sort of big on the screen, but you know, this character is a hard-working tech guy working overtime on a project that's going to change everything, creating the microprocessor from the two pieces of tech, the microchip and the robotic arm that they left out at the end of the last one. But you you pick up the pieces in this, you know, you you can understand where they found it. It doesn't need too much going into all that. But he inevitably, he sacrifices his work and later himself for the good of mankind when he realises what is going on and what his place in this history of mankind's disintegration becomes. So as I said, the uh, psychiatrist again returns for his role. Psychiatrist from the original returns for his role. And he is, he's a slimy bastard, isn't he? You know, just as equally as slimy at this. Um, and a lot of his crew as well, just repulsive. You know, one guy even licks Sarah Connor's face. You know, they're just that, they're a horrible lot and you love seeing them all get their comeuppance. It's, it's all part of the build-up, isn't it? To give Sarah's escape another... You know, to make you really root for her, not only is she being held when she, you know she's sane, and they treat her as insane, and she can't get out, and she knows her son's in danger, and she knows she's in danger, but also by giving her such a raw deal, and seeing her fall from grace completely, it helps establish not just her character, but brings additional tension, and her need to escape gives that film extra sort of direction, and it creates an extra joy in how we see her in when we see her escape as well so one of the things i like doing when i watch films is recognizing actors within minor roles and in this film i spotted don lake i didn't know his name i looked it up i'm not going to pretend i know all these actors names but i recognized him from police academy here he plays a Mossberg, one of the cops, showing Sarah the new photos of Arnie in the mall. In Police Academy, he plays Mr. Wig in the scene where Mahoney is working as a car park attendant. Wiggler, wiggler, dang, 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 dang. And also the security guard, played by Don Stanton. Again, I didn't know his name. Googled, Googled it. IMDb. He's replicated by the T-1000 as he's at the vending machine and then the T-1000 pokes him through the eye and uh, he's basically a twin because I've seen them both in Gremlins 2 he's one of the scientists it's the twin scientists in Christopher Lee's lab so if you saw Gremlins 2 first I guess that it would sort of ruin the money saving effect of having his twin brother appear as the Terminator version of himself but it's a good cheat for the film and it does save money having to, rather than using effects just just hire a twin in they could also do that with Linda Hamilton because she has a, a twin sister who, Leslie who pops up in a couple of occasions on this film she's first playing her reflection in the mirror or vice versa I think in a scene where I think Leslie is in the foreground sort of with her back to us performing surgery on a dummy of Arnie's head whilst Linda and the real Arnie are in the mirror as a fake reflection and again later on Leslie appears as the T-1000 imitates her in the smelting plant as she tries as he's trying to trick John 
Terminator 2 was nominated for six Oscars, which it won for Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Mixing, Best Makeup and Hair Styling, Best Sound Editing, Best, and it lost out for Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. And I mean, this, the film still holds up today, doesn't it? It's considered by many, myself included, as better than the original. The effects still look great. Some of the CGI has dated ever so slightly, but we'll let it slide. You know, this was an art in its infancy. This was even before Jurassic Park, but for the most part, you know, it is amazing. There's great, memorable action sequences throughout. And like I said, that's coming from someone who finds many modern action sequences very dull. But the scenes here are of a tour de force. The motorcycle chase in the LA sewers, where the first ever CGI deletion of wires featured in a film. The helicopter chase, which Cameron filmed himself as the crew refused to be part of such a dangerous stunt as the shot required the pilot to fly a helicopter under a highway. A stunt that actually I saw replicated a few weeks ago. I was watching outbreak which is absolutely shocking what an awful film i think that's one i'm gonna to have to cover when i talk about films i absolutely found hilariously appalling but yeah that stunt was that dangerous that the crew didn't want a part of it so james cameron filmed it himself and cameron even says in the special features that that pilot actually did go on to die during a, a stunt i think for another film but uh I guess Cameron knows how to frame a good sequence. You know, it's far more effective than many of today's sequences where the overuse of CGI in action sequences as well as the suspension of the suspension of disbelief. There's almost an absolute certainty of the heroes getting through the scene alive, all detract from the film. And if anything, enhance the ineffectiveness and bore me senseless. Whereas this, it is edgy-seat action. They're not overlong scenes they're filmed in such a way that it's just riveting stuff and this film is a polished reinterpretation of its predecessor and a great end to the series we would have liked to have bought but no they did come out with more terminators you know you got terminator 3 which was almost a comedy terminator wasn't it terminator salvation which takes us into the future after Judgment Day, following John Connor, um, Genesis. I can't even remember which one Genesis was. I only just recently watched them all. But Genesis, Genesis. Oh, that's the one with Matey from Everest, isn't it? As John Connor, who's an android, John Connor, and and it's isn't it the girl out of Game of Thrones plays the young Sarah Connor, but she's been brought up by a Terminator who came back to protect her before oh for fuck's sake it's like what what's going on and then terminator dark fate which is a different lot of terminators coming back there's some good sequences in that to be fair and it uses the aging terminator and they use that in genesis as well the old terminator arnie i suppose it's so they can use arnie isn't it because he's old now so the terminators have to age else they can't use Arnie I guess but anyway there you go that's me that's Trev talking film 
and that was me talking about Terminator this week. So I hope you like that. It was my first time I've done a, a podcast. So if you do listen to this and you do subscribe, then please do share. So yeah, please stay tuned for more discussion on film. I'll see you all again soon. Thank you ever so much for listening. Cheers. Mm-hmm.